All righty. And we're recording. So tonight's guest is Carrie Dudenhofer. Carrie, thank you so much for coming on tonight. Oh, thanks for having me. I sure appreciate it, Mr. Mikos. I enjoy you so much. You were one of my favorites from your cohort, and it's uh, an honor just to visit with you anytime. Oh, my gosh. So I met Carrie at the uh, the Active Self-Protection Instructor Certification, and uh, I was part of Cohort 5. And so Carrie Dudenhofer is one of the instructors that, you know, she's part of the instructor cadre. Um, the, the, the instructor cadre uh, consists of Carrie Dudenhofer, um, Christopher Bean, um, let's see, Stephanie Weiner, Neil Weiner, and, uh, you know, John Correa. And so those guys together, the thing that really just kind of intrigued me about the program was that you're already expected to know how to shoot and they're just going to teach you how to teach, not just how to teach pistol craft, but how to teach period, just how to teach in general in relation to pistol craft. So mm-hmm. like Carrie, can you tell me a little bit about like how you got hooked up with these guys and how you got into this thing? <laughs> sure. Sure. How I uh, met the ASP team. So uh, I want to say it was back in 2015, maybe 2016. Um, I had asked my oldest daughter at that time, I think she was about 16 or 17, I'd asked her if she wanted to take a range master class with me. I had heard that uh, Mr. Tom was a great person to train with. And so my daughter said, sure, I'll do it with you. So I signed us up and the class was in Phoenix. We were excited about that because it was going to be, it was the end of October for us in the Pacific Northwest, which is kind of cold and Phoenix was still going to be warm. So we got down there and um, we headed to our first training day and realized that something wasn't right because the people that were getting ready for this class, I mean, they were like, high speed, low drag folks. I mean, these folks were squared away and knew what they were doing. These were not, you know, newer shooters like we were. And um, anyway, lo and behold, we were actually at the right class. And the class that I'd signed us up for was an instructor class. And so uh, I just hadn't paid attention very well to what I was signing us up for. So my poor kid is in an instructor class with me, uh, but we did great. We had a great time. We learned a ton. But the very first day I heard a voice walk into that classroom and um it was a voice I was familiar with and it took me a while to figure out where it was from, but it was Mr. John and John Korea. And um, so it was fun to be able to visit with him a little bit. I think at that time the channel had started, but um, I, where I'd found out about him originally was a friend of mine on YouTube. And so anyway, I was asking him about the business and what he was looking forward to with ASP. And one of the things he mentioned is that he really wanted to start an instructor certification program that focused on teaching people how to teach. Um, and so I told him, I said, when you offer that program, I will be in that first class because I, I that's information I desperately want. Um, so anyway, so that's how I met them originally. And then we hosted them here in Spokane. Uh, and then during my time in the cohort, uh, I was in cohort one. And uh, so that's pretty much how I got to, to know the ASP team. That is so cool. Like just met him in a class. Um, yeah. That sounds pretty awesome. Like that's how I met Neil, Neil Widener. Um, I went to the, uh, I went to the range master, um, master, right? Master or was instructor. Yeah, master, it was the master, okay. the master instructor level. And Neil was there. I ended up getting paired with him on the line. I was like his, his range buddy in that class. And I remember him talking about you when he finished that class and how excited he was about you and how impressed he was with you. Oh man. Neil's such a great dude. Like he, he <laughs> he's is. like, such an awesome dude. <laughs> yeah. So 
So how did you guys like come up with the whole active self-protection instructor certification? I know there was a lot of like conversations that happened there, but I'm sure there were some decisions made about what to put in and what to put out. Like how did that whole process go? That's a great, that's a question you're going to have to ask Mr. John. I know a little bit about it. So when I started, so I was in cohort one as a student and then I um, was brought on to help out with cohort three. Uh, So cohort two, I didn't, um, wasn't part of that at all. But when I started helping out, uh, it was already a set program and set curriculum. Um, And the books I know were specifically hand chosen by Mr. John and the, um, assignments and activities and things like that were all specifically chosen by him and really just to help people grow in their uh, potential to teach adults because, you know, teaching adults is very different than teaching children and adults come to a learning environment with a history and they bring that history into their, their learning environment. And how can we use that? How does it benefit us? Uh, What are some drawbacks to that? Um, that sort of thing. So the books in the cohort are phenomenal books. I hadn't read any of those books when I started the cohort, although it was interesting. I had clearly, I'd taken a class from somebody somewhere along the line that, uh, had read, um, the Lanny Basham book because, um, that was, I understood that process pretty well. Um, but anyway, we've also added two books since your cohort, believe it or not. So there's a total of seven books that we read now. I gotta, I gotta figure it out. I got once we're when we're offline. I want to know what those are so that I can add those to. I'll tell you. you know, of all awesome, fantastic. <laughs> so I'm such a book nerd. Like even today, um, I dropped off. Uh, well, I picked up my truck from the uh, uh, from the uh, uh, from the shop, and um, the mechanic. Uh, his name is uh, Jake Humphrey. He's literally part of my family like uh, we've, we've adopted him and the dude is absolutely amazing he's a fellow marine um his daughter calls me the cake uncle because you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the it. um because you know as marines we get together for the marine corps birthday and for for several years i was the guy <laughs> to get the cake so <laughs> Cake uncle, uncle cake. That's awesome. So it was awesome. Yeah. So, you know, he got together and he was like, Hey man, I know you read a lot. Let's do a book swap. So, you know, it was pretty cool. Yeah. It was pretty cool. So that's a great idea. So have you read this one, this book? Um, Oh, wait, sorry. Here we go. Shooting to live. Um, by uh, Colonel Fairburn. So this was written, I think it was published first in like 1940, something, 42 or whatever. And yeah, 1942 is when it was published. And um, it's just super interesting. Um, But anyway, I can tell you more about it offline, but it's a great book for for listeners too. Uh, Pretty much anything that, uh, not anything, but a lot of the things that we cover in uh, close quarters classes um, came from Colonel Fairburn, and he was oh. a British officer stationed in Shanghai, China. And at that time, China, uh, Britain was in control of that area, and they had horrific crime problems and um, murders happening constantly, and lots of police officers were losing their lives. And so Colonel Fairburn and his uh, friend, Captain Sykes, came up with a training program, and he outlines the training program in the book. And it's it's really interesting to realize that in the 1920s, in Shanghai, China, they were doing the CQB stuff that is taught now. 
That is mind blowing. Oh my goodness. I thought so yeah. too. Who didn't know, right? I mean, uh, the wisest man in the world's right. There's nothing new under the sun. I, yeah. So I'm going to be taking notes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, because I feel like there's a lot I can learn from you that I have learned from you and there's still more to learn from you. So, oh, you know, so goes anyway. both ways. <laughs> so, so the instructor uh, certification and then also the, uh, uh, there's also the national conference as well, the Active Self Protection National Conference. Um, yes. Oh my gosh! Like, I'm sure this is another question for for Mr. John. But how did like how did that idea spring up? So I know that I'm going to butcher this horribly, so don't hold me to this. But the general idea is they held a Bullets and Bibles conference um, early on. I want to say in. Um, 16, 15, 16 or 17, somewhere in there in Phoenix. And it was a conference for people uh, to come in and learn. And between then and when the um, national conference was kind of born, um, the ASP team, uh, so Mr. John, Ms. Steph and Mr. Neil met Mike and Lisa Irvin, who run Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp. And I think they met them at a class or there was a class that was held at their facility that um, the ASP team was a part of. And when they understood the mission of Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp and what, and what they do is they take kids that are about to age out of the system. So these are kids in the foster system that are about to age out. And the tragedy is um, in most states, they if they haven't been adopted, all they've been in the foster system, when they turn 18, they're on their own. The state is no longer responsible for them, uh, no longer you know, provides for their care, housing or anything. And so you've got these pumpkins that have been oftentimes jumped around from home to home to home um, that have had a pretty tough upbringing and they don't even have the life skills they need to be able to go out, even just getting a bank account or getting a driver's license, you know, things like that. So Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp is there to fill the gap. And so they want the kids to know that there's hope and that, that people do care about them and their people out there that do care about them. So the work that they do there is phenomenal. And so um, Mr. John and Ms. Steph and Mr. Neal decided that uh, they that the national conference uh, would be held there as a fundraiser. And any, uh, so you pay to attend, I think, I can't remember how much it was this year. I want to say 600, 650 or something like that for That's three days right. of training. Is that all right? Okay. And um, every single dime, when you register, you pay Flint Hills Foster Team Camp. And not a dime of it goes to ASP or to any of the instructors. The instructors are all there donating their time. And last year, I it was around $120,000 that was raised for the Flint Hills Foster Team Camp. And um, they have enough funds, uh, or they're on the way to have funds to be able to build a house that will have uh, a number of different rooms and they'll have a house parent so that when these kids do age out of the system, they can go right into this. So it'll be apartment style living, but they'll have a, a responsible adult there to be able to help them get on their feet and get a driver's license and uh, get enrolled in college or trade skills or any of those things, but just so they have a place to call home. And um, yeah, so it's a pretty cool thing. It's, 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 there's something special about that place too. It's something I don't know how to describe it, but there's just something when you step onto that property, it just feels different. And it, it's pretty cool. Wow. There's, there needs to be more stuff like that that happens in the firearms community because this whole, our community and our nation has so many people that are just ready and willing to do good things. 
and it's just, you know, it's, it's amazing yeah. to behold. I got to tell you something kind of interesting. Um, so last year, um, you know, a lot of these kids that are marginalized, my husband and I have adopted out of the foster system. And um, so we know firsthand what that can be like. And it's not a slam on anybody. The social workers and the workers are doing the best they possibly can. But some of the circumstances are impossible circumstances. But um, coming out of that system, kids can often have some uh, self-esteem issues, as you can imagine. Um, they've probably been treated pretty horribly. You got to be treated pretty horribly to be removed from your home. Um, and so those are a lot of hurdles for those kids to, to overcome. And um, so last year, um, HK always gives away a couple of VP9s and some other guns as well uh, to raffle off to raise funds for Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp at the National Conference. So last year I got to meet this amazing young woman. Her name is Miss JJ and she is from, she came out of the foster system and met uh, Mike and Lisa Irvin through Flint Hills Foster Teen Camp and she now works there. And she's had a desire and a vision for this house where it has the separate rooms and apartment style living where these kids can come and have some support. And so uh, we were talking about, uh, she and I over lunch one day, we're just happened to be visiting about um, that sometimes it takes a certain amount of self-esteem to feel like your life is worth defending or protecting and that that can be an important step. And also I've found with people that have been victimized, oftentimes for them, just learning how to handle a gun, not that they plan on buying a gun and using it, but just knowing how to shoot a gun. Uh, for some people that's really, really empowering. So last year at the auction, um, a number that they were giving away the last VP nine. And I happened to be sitting right next to uh, Mr. Bill Dermody, who's the, uh, I think VP of HK, uh, in the U S or U S sales or something like that. Anyway, he's a big guy, a big muckety muck in, in HK. And he's a phenomenal guy too. Anyway. Um, and the number was red and JJ is the one that won that VP nine. And she was so excited. And I looked over at Mr. Bill and both of us were, you know, like tears running down our faces because she didn't have the resources for something like that. And she would love to take some training and learn how to do that. But uh, I looked at Mr. Bell and I said, man, it's almost like that was handpicked beforehand who that gun was going to go to. And then several instructors stood up and offered JJ spots in their classes at no charge. And she's followed through with that. So it's really cool, the stuff that goes on at Flint Hills Foster Team Camp. So far outside of the the industry, but it's really neat the the good stuff that that goes on within the industry as well. That is so awesome. That is yeah. so awesome. You know what? I want in on that. Um, oh man, you gotta come. You gotta come. Yeah. Well, not just that, but for what was her name? JJ. JJ, Miss JJ. Yeah. Oh man, I, and you will yeah. love her. Oh my gosh, she's such a little fighter. She's so feisty, and she's got so much tenacity, and she's so smart. But also just so kind and gentle and loving and gives lots of grace. And anyway, she's an amazing, amazing human being. I'm so excited that she's the one that will be, um, you know, walking with these kids that have aged out of the system um, as they oh, really? walk into adulthood. Yeah. Yep. She'll be one of the well, ones she, to do it. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, that that sold it for me. All right. So next time you get a hold of her, um, what I want to do is I want to give her a spot in one of my dry fire basics classes that I, that Oh I my gosh, that'd be so perfect. Cause she could do it from like right where she is. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's great. Yep. I will absolutely get you guys in contact with each other. You betcha. Fantastic. You're going to enjoy her too. 
that's gonna be awesome <laughs> awesome so wow so just us talking about the active self-protection conference like just the amount of just i don't know um the word keeps coming up empowerment and encouragement and just you know great feels um it seems like it just kind of flows through that entire event oh yeah and i would say too through the entire organization as well. I mean, what Mr. John and Ms. Steph and Mr. Neil have built is, you know, like nothing I've ever seen in this industry, that's for sure. And their inclusivity and desire to, um, you know, be gate openers and bring as many people in as possible, no exclusivity at all. It's, um, you know, you have, everyone has a seat at this table and let's, let's figure out how to do this together and to be a welcoming place for those that are brand, brand new and might be scared or even for marginalized populations as well, or folks with exceptionalities so that there's safe places for them to go. Uh, and they know that they'll be taken care of and loved on and treated like we'd want to be treated. Um, it's just, it's, a, it's, I still can't believe I get to do this for a job. I, I honestly can't. I tell Mr. John and Miss Steph all the time, I should be paying you to let me do the things that they let me do. Oh, living the dream. Living the dream. Yeah, yeah truly. So awesome. So awesome. So the the biggest, the most rewarding thing about all this stuff is just to be a part of their, you know, these folks' journey, you know, to like watch these folks grow and watch them like step into their own and just own the powers that they that they have you know um i want to i want to hear about your story like how did how did you, how did carrie dudenhofer get into shooting and you know how did how did you become this this powerhouse how? <laughs> <laughs> oh you're so sweet that's funny how did i get into shooting that's a good question so well, i grew up in a law enforcement family and um all of my parents friends when i was a kid were in law enforcement so you know, and, and hunting and that sort of thing. So guns were always around. Um, I don't ever recall, you know, being told what to do or what not to do with them. Um, but it wasn't anything I was necessarily afraid of. I grew up uh, in a small, um, very rural, uh, not very populated county in Washington state. And uh, my dad was a deputy and the county seat was about an hour and 20 minutes away from our house. So we lived at the extreme southern end of the county. So when my dad was on duty, I knew that his closest help could be over an hour away in the north end of the county. And um, that was something that kind of weighed heavily on me. Even as a young kid, I'm talking six, seven, eight, nine, um, I would think about that. And then feeling like I um, was not responsible, but a little bit um, for our own safety because help was so far away. So I think from an early age, I just understood that um, we, we can't expect anybody else to be there for us. We, we need to be able to protect ourselves. Now, that doesn't mean I did anything about it uh, because I didn't. I mean, when I was a kid, I did shoot um, uh, like VFW 22 rifle shoots um, when I was a young kid. And um, I shot trap with my dad and that sort of thing. But um, no formalized training or anything. Um, anyway, and then... 
uh, got out of high school and went in the Coast Guard for five years and really enjoyed my time doing that. I was 17 and young and dumb, and I didn't know that it was supposed to be hard. And I thought boot camp, I didn't like the running in boot camp, but I thought the rest of boot camp was, uh, the food wasn't good either. But anyway, uh, I just ate peanut butter and jelly sandwiches every single day for every meal. But um, but I had a great time, <laughs> learned a ton, met some really cool people. Um, but there was nothing I did when I was in the Coast Guard that prepared me for protecting myself necessarily. So um, it wasn't until after our first kid was born and I was home alone with her that first night and my husband worked nights in a local emergency room. And I just remember suddenly realizing, oh my gosh, I don't even know if we have anything to protect her. And, you know, how, how would I even do that? And so that started a long chain of events. Um, and that, at that time, there was no range in my area. There were no instructors that I could find offering training. I did contact the member-only ranges, but they said no. You know, they didn't know anybody. So I started reading books, whatever books I could get my hands on. So my husband had um, Mr. Moss's book, In the Greatest Extreme. I read that. And Paxton Quigley's book, um, Armed and Female, I think is what that one's called. Um, but anyway, I read those books. And those books actually didn't give me any comfort to be honest, they gave me more of a passion and more of a drive to figure this out because they helped me realize how little I actually knew. Um, so it wasn't until 2005, oh, and I used to practice in our yard and stuff, um, like running with my kids, like picking them up and carrying them running. And it wasn't until we were, uh, kid number three was born and I no longer pick up kid one and two and three in the car seat and run that I realized I had to figure something out. And not that running was the best option either, but it was pretty much all I had. Um, so an event happened in our community um, in that year that was pretty horrific. Um, and uh, family was bludgeoned to death in their home while they were sleeping. And uh, the parents were in their late thirties and the bludgeoned to death mother and the father, 13 year old, and then the aggressor abducted the seven year old and the nine year old. Um, and that hit me like a ton of bricks. And I think it hit me like a ton of bricks because I realized the place that I felt the safest, which was in my house with my husband and kids right there with me, may not necessarily be the safest. Um, I needed to have a way and a plan and some skills and some options because I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I didn't even try. And I'm sure this family tried and did the best they could. So um, anyway, that led to me asking more and more questions of my poor dad. And finally, he gave me a list of people that he thought would be good to train with. And it was folks that he had known from when he was in law enforcement and, and magazine articles he's read and that sort of thing. Um, and so I um, picked one of them. And that happened to be uh, Mr. Clint Smith, uh, because he was the closest to me. And so I uh, went down to Thunder Ranch. And that was my first formal class was at Thunder Ranch. Um, so that's kind of how it started. And that created this hunger because I would hear Mr. Clint say things like, um, you know, well, when we, I can't remember how he says it exactly, but, um, you know, the first rule at Gunsight, because he was there when Gunsight first started, he worked with Colonel Cooper and, and Ken Hackathorn. Um, and, you know, the first rule was, uh, treat all guns like they're loaded. And so, um, that was painted on a sign. Um, and Mr. Clint talks about after their first, I want to say, I'm probably butchering this, but my Carrie's interpretation is after the first couple of weeks they were open, um, Colonel Cooper came to Mr. Clint and gave him a piece of paper that said, um, uh, keep firearms pointed in the, um, not direction, at least contract, always keep the muzzle pointed in the safe direction and whatever his other one is that's uh, finger off the trigger. Um, and 
the, and the reason was because this is for the people that won't follow rule number one. And so hearing that there was this history in this space uh, just gave me more of a hunger to understand, well, why did they decide on those rules? Those rules do make sense. Um, who came up with those and why did they choose those ones specifically? And so that just led me down a rabbit hole. Um, and I like to say we live in the golden age of training because we can go back just like you have and train with some of these founders, you know, Ken Hackathorn, uh, Dave Spaulding, Tom Givens, uh, Mr. Moss, um, John Farnham, all these guys who were part of this modern concealed carry, um, not movement, but kind of sort of, but anyway, uh, the training. And so to be able to train with them and find out, oh, this is why so-and-so says that we should, you know, manipulate the slide inboard. And that's why so-and-so says we should manip manipulate it outboard. That's why so-and-so says we should uh, reload with the muzzle high. Um, just being able to understand all those is what really helped me. So my husband finally said, listen, it'd be really nice to be able to write off some of this uh, ammo that, you know, we're going through and these classes are taken. So, and you are helping people learn how to shoot left and right. So let's go ahead and formalize this. And so he did. And that's how the carry concealed started. What a genius name too, carry concealed. Like, <laughs> well, the truth is it's narcissistic because all the good names were taken by then. I mean, we're talking what, 2013, 2012, 2013, all like range masters taken, um, defensive training, international gun site, all the good names were taken. So I was kind of stuck with the carry concealed, but it seems to work okay. It's right there for you. <laughs> it's like right there. <laughs> and no one else, like, I'm never going to be able to call it carry concealed. <laughs> it's like, why would you call it that? <laughs> so, so awesome. Yeah, like talking about a rabbit hole, like what is the count now? Like 2,400 hours of, of, of training yeah. that you've had? Yeah, coming up on 2,500. Um, yeah, is which is, and yeah, it's crazy hole. to think of. It is, it is a big rabbit hole, huh? And I still, you know, there's still so many classes that I want to take. The budget doesn't necessarily allow for it, but I was so excited when, um, you know, Mr. John, um, was able to take the force science certification and because that was only offered to sworn officers and, um, that taking that course and Mr. Moss's deadly force instructor course kind of opened the door for me to be able to start doing some expert witness work, uh, which I thoroughly love. I actually spent most of today reviewing a new case I just got. And um, it's just fascinating work. But yeah, there's never enough. You can't learn enough. That's for sure. And like when I take a class, for example, um, I mean, there's so many hours, right, that we train that we don't even count. Those are just formal classroom hours or range hours in front of the instructor that, that are counted in that uh, 2,400 hours. But, um, you know, after class, I spend hours and hours and hours combing over my notes and reviewing them and rereading them and thinking about them. Um, and so those are good learning hours as well. Oh my gosh. I tell people all the time, like, Hey, when you buy, when you pay for a class and you take that class, you don't just pay for that eight hours or that 16 hours. Like you're, you're paying for the valuable information yes. that they have curated and provided for you and you get yes. that forever. So, yeah. yeah, you know, years so later, you can look back at those notes years later. Yes. 
And I do. I bet you do too. I had somebody ask me early on, why do you take instructor level classes? It wasn't necessarily, it wasn't really to be an instructor. What I found out early on is that's where the information is, is at the instructor level classes. That's where they tell you the whys behind everything. And that's the stuff I really wanted. And so that's why I started taking instructor level classes is because I was desperate for the information. That was the only place to get it. That was the same reason why I started going to instructor level classes, because when you start getting to your local range and you start taking like your, you know, your basic permit curriculum or your, you know, your handgun self-defense curriculum, it gets down to, well, why, why do you not want me to slingshot the slide instead of, you know, coming over the top? Like, why do, would you want a power stroke instead of? you know, using the front serrations or yeah. why do we reload the way we do? Why do we use our sights the way we do? And a lot of times those guys don't have those answers. And it's not that they're bad instructors. It's just they never really thought about it on that deep of a level. Right. You know, they're yeah. not nerds like about it like us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, yeah, my mom says apparently my first word wasn't mom or dad. It was why. So but that makes sense now. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what they say. <laughs> so I, I, I do IT as, you know, as a career and, you know, I've been doing it for about 13 years. Um, part of what I do now in incident response is uh, root cause analysis. And one of the major ways to, uh, one of the major schemas that we use is a method that we call the five W's plus a, plus a H, which is five Y's. So Ooh. five Y's. So uh, root cause analysis, if you ask why five times, a lot of times you may not even have to get to that fifth why in order for you to figure out the root cause behind it. Wow. And, so, and, and that's that, half of the battle, right? Half of the battle, three, you're three quarters of the way there once you figure out what the problem is, right? Is it that way yeah. for IT also? It okay. is. Absolutely. So it's this, and you know, it's the same way with fixing cars. It's the same way with fixing computers. It's the same way with fixing, you know, um, troubleshooting, like, uh, you know, marksmanship issues. If you figure out that why, if you ask why enough times, you're usually going to get to the root of the problem. So wow. I love is, that. I love that. And so hearing that you had a similar experience, oh my gosh, it all just comes full circle. <laughs> <laughs> I'm writing this down. If you ask why enough times, you'll get to the answer. Mm -hmm. Man, that's so, cool. So eventually all of that instruction, uh, you stepped into your own and you created carry concealed um, and you developed the, uh, the extreme, you know, what was it? Uh, there's sniper pistol and there's also <laughs> uh, extreme precision pistol. Precision. And yeah. the, the concepts that you touch on there, like it's such a unique class in the way that, you know, well, just for the listeners and viewers that we have, Full full disclosure, I haven't gone to her class. I watched it on the Active Self Protection um, Unlimited app. That's really hard to say, by the way. <laughs> Good job. I pull so much out of that that mm. when when people try to take, you know, so there's this there's this patch out there. It's called the Puddin Patch. It was developed by Tyler. Mr. Tharp Tyler. Of, yes. Yeah. Synergy Shooting Solutions. Um, actually, no, they changed the name. Uh, Synergy Training Group. Uh, so Tyler okay. Tharp of Synergy Training Group. And there's this there's this drill out there. You get three attempts per day. And it doesn't matter if you're warm or cold. But it doesn't matter what target you use. But at 10 yards, you have to put three shots into a piece of paper. And all three shots have to be touching. All three holes have to touch. 
So it's deceptively difficult. It is so incredibly difficult. And when people are frustrated about it, what I tell them to do is go on the Active Soul Protection Unlimited app and look at, you know, Carrie Dunoffer's class. And it's really <laughs> going to help you settle your mind towards, you know, towards achieving that goal. And, oh. you know, so because I think it's such an effective class that, you know, yeah. like telling the difference between, yeah, accuracy, okay, and precision, yeah. precision. So yeah. can you tell me a little bit about how you developed that class and like how, how those pieces came together? Sure, sure. So one of my favorite things to do is um, to figure out the ways that I can maximize my students' time with me. So how can I um, not give them information they don't need and how can I give them just what they need um, so they can remember it? And what's the most efficient way to do that? So what I found early, so when I was a kid, my dad taught me when I was uh, shooting his you know, sniper rifle or whatever we were hunting, um, he taught me to, when I finger one on the trigger, to start saying, keep pressing, keep pressing, keep pressing out loud to myself. And that would help me have a smooth trigger press. Um, and so I did, and it worked great. And when I went to boot camp and had to shoot there, it worked fine. As a matter of fact, I told a couple of my um, uh, friends at, in boot camp, you know, hey, do this while you're shooting and you'll, you'll do better. And they did. And um, so I knew it worked, but I didn't know why it worked. And what would happen is when I, so my goal as a teacher is to help my students get to the point that they can diagnose themselves and become their own coaches as soon as possible. Um, I want them to be independent. I don't want them to need me. And I want their practice sessions to be well worth their time and money. Because I mean, really, like Masada Yub says, shooting isn't that hard. But it's, you know, 10% physical, 90% mental. So how do we cover the mental part? So what I would find is, although I would teach my students to say, keep pressing, keep pressing, or I would say it with them while I was standing right beside them, and they would have these perfect shots that would go right where they wanted. And they were like, oh, well, I can't do that when you walk away. And I'd be like, I know. And I wonder why you can't do that when I walk away. And it would drive me nuts. Even sometimes they would even say it out loud and they still weren't able to do it. But if I came right back to them and would stand right there with them and say it with them, they could do it. So that started to drive me crazy trying to understand that. So it started a kind of a long process of talking to uh, several behavioral optometrists. You know, how much effort do we need to put into aiming? And is that something that, you know, our body kind of does automatically? Because when you ask people what they're thinking about when they press the trigger, um, they'll say a myriad of things, you know, it'd be like, well, I'm thinking about my grip or I'm thinking about my, um, you know, movie picture, my sight picture, whatever you want to call it. Um, but not necessarily what they need to be thinking about and concentrating on. And so anyway, uh, I talked to a bunch of hand therapists, um, neurologists even. Uh, so this is over a period of years. Um, and I just through a friend of a friend, I met a gentleman um, Mr. Joel, who said, hey, I can tell you why saying keep pressing works. And uh, I was like, oh, well, I want to know. And then another guy named Ed Santos at Center Target Sports in uh, Post Falls, Idaho, he also said, hey, you're on to something with that keep pressing. And it's those two words specifically that matter. And he explained why. And so I was like, okay, well, let's figure this out. And uh, it's funny because when I asked my dad about it, why you know, who taught him to say it. He's like, he said, I don't even know, but somebody taught him. He just doesn't know where he learned it. Um, he said, but I've always used it and, you know, taught it to other people. 
So um, anyway, so just asking a lot of people is what led me to develop the sniper pistol class because I really do want my students. To, I find it's easy to teach people how to press the trigger faster. Um, you know, if they're pressing it slowly, it's it's not hard to teach somebody to press the trigger fast. Uh, but it can be hard once they press it fast to teach them to press it with precision. And so I want my students, if I get to have my, you know, if they come to me at the very beginning and I get to walk with them through those first initial steps, um, sniper pistol is the very first class they take right after the class where they pick their gun. So they come to the class with their new gun and new holster. We learn to draw from holster and then we go right into sniper pistol so that they can hit exactly what they want to hit when they want to hit it and how they want to hit it. Uh, from day one and then shooting is a lot of fun when you can hit what you want to hit or when you know why you didn't hit what you wanted to hit that's the big portion like why did i miss and that's the yeah. that's the that's the question that perplexes so many shooters out there myself included like why did i miss so pretty amazing stuff that you're doing out there oh my gosh oh it's fun it's a lot of fun mr brian hill was really encouraging to me it's weird stuff because when i started teaching it um you know to the masses um i would get some emails and stuff like from grandpas who'd paid for their um daughters and granddaughters or sons and grandsons to take my classes um and you know they they weren't mean emails but they'd be like you know this is voodoo uh, saying something out loud doesn't you know what does that have to do with anything um and so and that really encouraged me to kind of back up and get some evidence for what i was doing and um Mr. Brian Hill was helpful in that. Also a guy named Marcus Wynn who passed away just recently. Um, I learned about him through Dave Spaulding, but he had a, uh, he did a thing called the Jedi Project with um, with the folks at DARPA and uh, using neuro-linguistic programming. And that's kind of helped me begin to understand why, um, why the keep pressing was so vital and so helpful for people. Um, but yeah, it, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's fun to teach a class. It's a, there's an objective measure. One of the things that, I, I do worry about it. it. Keeps me up at night worrying about this. Um, I can, if my, if a student isn't happy with my class, I can give them their money back, but I can never give them that time back. The time they spent with me, I can never give that back to them, and that just feels like a huge burden to me. A burden, meaning I want to, I want to do things in such a way that I'm a, helping them use their time in the wisest way possible, and. So the only way they'll know if it's been a good use of their time is if we can measure where they were when they started and where they were when they ended. And um, so that's what we do. So at, in Sniper Pistol, we measure their group size at the beginning of the class and we measure their group size at the end of class. And they are able to see, holy cow, my group went from being, you know, eight inches by 15 inches down to uh, two inches by two inches. Um, that's kind of a cool change. And I know it sounds ridiculous. Like it sounds ridiculous until you see people do it. And then when you see them do it in, you know, in three hours, here they are taking their groups down to a two inch circle. Um, and if they're a shot, they, if they have a flyer, they can tell you why they have a flyer. It's really empowering for people to be able to do that. That's so empowering. Like, um, what was it? There's this thing called Bloom's Taxonomy that you know yes like you talk about it a lot uh the other instructors in the active self-protection instructor certification um uh, they talk about it a lot tiffany johnson talks about it a lot where the very top of that you know that bloom's taxonomy is the ability to analyze 
And it's so amazing. Like just being able to understand why that shot went the way it went. That's, that's so huge. So just a great class, just a great class. It was a great recording. Oh, I'm, it makes me want to go to the class. <laughs> it's like, I got to <laughs> find a way to get out there. So pretty awesome stuff. Um, pretty doggone cool. So we covered a lot today. Um, we covered, you know, your origin story because every yeah. superhero has an origin story. Oh, <laughs> um, I love that. That's pretty cool. <laughs> um, there's uh, we covered uh, active self-protection, the instructor certification and the national conference. Uh, we also covered, uh, you know, um, uh, precision pistol, uh, the, uh, the extreme precision pistol and sniper pistol. The, um, what other passion projects do you have out there? What else can we look for from Carrie? Dugan? Oh, boy, that's a good one. One of the things that is set heavy with me for quite a while is um, just understanding grip strength. And I realized pretty early that a lot of the newer folks coming to me, um, there was a very, um, it was very easy to see the correlation between their level of fear of learning to shoot and the amount of grip strength they had. And the less grip strength they had, the more fearful they were. And I think it's because they knew that they would might they they thought they might have trouble holding onto the gun. And so um, I bought a, a dynamometer, a couple of them actually. And uh, there's a Miss Becky is a, a hand therapist that I met um, when our oldest daughter was like 12 and broke her hand in a couple places. Um, and I been, had been talking to Miss Becky for years now, years and over 10 years, 14 years. Um, but understanding how much less grip strength we have in today's day and age compared to even 20 years ago um, is, is a lot to think about. And um, just understanding how grip strength impacts people's comfort with shooting uh, has been helpful for me. So... Um, so I really enjoy that. I was talking to um, Mr. AJ Zito this year in Oklahoma, and um, one there's other folks in the industry who have, and he's an amazing trainer. By by the way, man, if people haven't trained with him, sign up for one of his classes quick because he's amazing. He's just an amazing human too. Um, but there's folks in the in this industry that have done grip strength measurements on people, um, and their students and that sort of thing over the years. I think that a lot of those people have been folks that are already in the gun space, whether they're in law enforcement or they're, you know, already taking gun classes. Um, so I really, so anyway, our conversation inspired me to uh, begin um, seeing if I can partner with some local agencies in our area and do some grip strength testing on their um, officers and cadets and deputies and um, compare those grip strength to the average student that comes to me um, and just see if there's a difference because I do wonder if there isn't a difference in grip strength. Um, you know, most of the folks that are in law enforcement are what going to be the ages of like between what, probably 22 and 52. So they're going to be in the prime of their life and they, they have to be pretty darn healthy to be a police officer. So um, they're most likely not going to have MS or um, or severe arthritis or that kind of thing, the students that come to us. So I think, I, I just think it'd be helpful for the industry and for other instructors to, to realize how grip strength impacts 
their students comfort and um, and then also gun fit. How does gun fit play into that? So those are areas that I'm just kind of exploring and um, I don't know if I'd say passionate about, but a little bit because I'm just desperate to know, you know, what type of impact does it have and that sort of thing. So. I mean, that sounds pretty passionate to me. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So next time you see me, I'll have my dynamometer and be begging to measure your grip strength. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here for it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Good. Oh my gosh. So any other, uh, I know it may be a future project, but do you have anything else coming down the pipe? Um, anything else lined let's up? See. Well, let's see. There's a couple fun things in the works. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say much about it, but I can say that I'm uh, in the process of developing a curriculum for um, a less lethal product that um, I'm excited about um, to make training accessible to every purchaser of the product. I think that'd be pretty awesome uh, that they can do right from their own home. Um, so I'm really excited about that. And then there's some really fun stuff going on at ASP, um, Active Self Protection, uh, regarding um, we have the instructor certification program, but a course before that. So to prepare people for that. And then a course after that as well. So a level two course. So, um, so yeah, so there's a lot of fun stuff in the works, a lot of fun stuff in the works. I'm really looking forward to that. Um, anything that asked ASP has coming out. Yeah. I'm definitely down for it. So it's How pretty exciting. <laughs> yeah. So let's see. So, Let's see. So, Carrie, how can we get a hold of you? Um, if folks have questions, oh, sure. how can they find you? Yeah. So, my website is uh, carryconcealed.com. So, K A E R Y and then the word concealed.com. And uh, you can find me there. There's a contact form there. And uh, you can send me a text or an email. Um, I am on social media, but I'm not on social media, meaning <laughs> I rarely, if ever, go on. And I'm not averse to it at all. It just, I, I have to choose very carefully how I spend my time and I'd much rather spend my time, you know, studying something like this than I would be, um, you know, on Facebook. So, um, anyway, but, uh, but I, so I do get messages. I try to check that at least once a month, um, in case there's messages that come in on that message thing of Facebook. So, but probably my website's the best way to contact me. Sounds fantastic. So, um, I'm gonna put that website, the URL, and also, um, I will, if you wouldn't mind, I'll put a link to your Facebook. Uh, Absolutely. I don't mind at all. Okay. Yeah. Yep, okay. That's a piece and of so uh, that way, if it's, you know, if it's, if it's others preferred mode of, you know, communication, yeah, then, you know, true. at least they could throw it out there. So that's a good point. I'll put, I'll put that on the, uh, the description for this podcast. That way, whoever's listening and whoever's watching, um, they can, uh, they can look at the description and the show notes and, you know, they'll be able to find, find uh, your website and how to get a hold of you. So that sounds awesome. Well, here we have 46 minutes. This just flew by. Carrie, it sure thank did. you so much for coming on. I really do appreciate oh, thank you. you. Oh, I enjoy you so much, Mr. Rikos. I really do. So thank you for having me. It was the pleasure is all mine. Trust me, it's all mine. And um, so for the folks that are listening and the folks that are watching at home, I just want to say thank you so much for spending your time with us. Okay. I, it's not lost on me how precious your time is. You're not getting it back. But the fact that you choose to spend it listening and watching us, uh, I greatly appreciate it. So thank you. Yeah. Um, thanks a bunch, folks. Welcome to Memphis. <laughs>